you know, we took on, it was probably close to a 48 hour ongoing, you know, fight and push with the, uh, with the Taliban in the area. Um, so it was, it was a pretty shitty welcome. I've got shit blowing up behind me and it was, you know, really working, working me. Um, my lead was feeding me Xanax and Valium, you know, out of, out of her pocket that he was on guard duty and uh, got shot to the, you know, took a shot to the head um, and wasn't found for you know, a couple hours later because you know, nobody had went up there to check on him. Uh, you know, I'm not going in to chase bullets. Right. You know, so everybody's a soldier first. All right. Hey, welcome, Scott. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for being here, man. Super appreciate it. Uh, so we're just going to start off. Uh, just tell me a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, where you're from, and a little bit about your upbringing. Okay. Um, I was born in North Carolina, lived down there for about nine years of my early life. Um, moved to Virginia after my dad got a job offer up here. Uh, my mom, my dad, my sister, and I moved up here. Uh, Franklin County, so about half an hour south of where we are now here in Roanoke. Uh, spent, you know, all my life until you know, now in the uh, local area. Um, didn't actually leave until going into service. Uh, so it's, uh, this is home. Yeah, you do uh, you put, doing any sports growing up? Any? Uh... I uh, I wrestled for six years uh, through middle school and high school. I didn't really take to much else. It just man, it didn't really appeal to me. Uh, even to date, I, I don't really watch you know my, many sports or anything like that. It just it wasn't really my forte. Uh, I was always more, I guess, uh, craftsy. You know. Uh, I was always sketching, you know, and sketchbooks and stuff like that, taking art classes. But uh, I, I did really enjoy wrestling. I did did pretty decent with it. All right. Um, you have any siblings? Uh, I have one older sister. Uh, she's five years older than myself. Uh, she's married now, still in the area. Uh, she's got three boys. So. Okay. So um, any any significant uh, uh, stories about your upbringing? Was it fairly pretty smooth or? It was decent. Uh, I didn't, to my knowledge, I didn't have like a family background, you know, military or anything like that. Uh, my dad, you know, now I know he served uh, four years in the reserves or guard somewhere, something like that. Uh, but it wasn't anything. He was just trying to, you know, get some stability and yeah. uh, go to school and stuff to help us out because, you know, they. They worked for everything they had, you know, when we were growing up. It wasn't like uh, we were we were an average, you know, middle class family. So I'm just curious to know if you uh, if you've had any any significant like stories about your upbringing, you know, if anything might have stemmed from your childhood and yeah. upbringing. You know what I mean? And that's what I, that's kind of where I was going with my pop. Uh, he was always kind of a hard ass. Uh, you know, he was real OCD. You know, methodical. Uh, and everything he did. Uh, my sister, she was, you know, prom queen, you know, Miss Teen Franklin County, straight edge. She never got any issues. I always gave him the hard time, so I kind of got the, the blunt of the discipline, you know, and stuff like that. Parents didn't beat me. I wasn't abused as a child. I'll put that out there first off. Uh, but as a kid, you know, you, you don't understand what they're trying to instill in you because you're a kid. Uh, so, you know, I had a 
an interesting, you know, childhood. And I guess in my point of view, uh, whereas, you know, I was, I was grounded a lot. I acted out, yada, yada. When I got, you know, the opportunity to move out and try to be on my own, I, I did that. Uh, but years later, you know, it, it kind of circles back around and, and I'm like, okay, you know, I understand why, why he, did this, you know, why he got frustrated at me and, you know, yelled instead of just talking to me or something like that. I, I was a real dickhead. So, right. uh, but a lot of, uh, my morals and values and disciplines that I carried and I think that helped me, you know, in service were, uh, instilled, you know, in childhood just through, um, expectations from yeah. you know, my mom and dad uh, we had chores growing up you know shit like that um, always takes us a little bit of time to mature and appreciate no, what yeah. we've been taught huh? no, yeah. Yeah. Um, what inspired you to join the military um, I never would have I never would have guessed you know I never would have placed myself in service one of my buddies and I, uh, we went to Myrtle Beach one year, and he had uh, he had just gotten discharged from uh, the Marines because he had injured his tore his ACL, I think, in basic, and uh, so they medically discharged him. And he wanted to, he propositioned me, you know, and said basically that he wanted to look into going into another branch, see if someone else would take him because he wanted to go back in. Would I be interested in talking to the recruiters with him? So I said sure, and uh, took the ASVAB. Did well. Um, they offered me twenty thousand uh, as a sign-on, and they didn't take him. I said, "Where do you want me to sign?" You know, money talked. Uh, I just, I, it wasn't, it wasn't one of those stories for me where I was, I was like, "I'm gonna go serve my country." Uh, at that point in time, right. uh, and you know, I wasn't in it for the school or anything like that. I, I think. I don't know, I think I was just bored and the money appealed to me at the time. You just uh, felt like you needed to do something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like most as most of us, man, it's just, uh, we don't really have a plan for our life and the yeah. military is a really great option, right? Yeah. Um, and what branch was this? Army. Army, okay. So um, what job did you sign up for? Uh, so I went in as a 92 Golf, which is a food service. Okay. Uh, I've been a cook most of my life. I've got over 18 years in food service now. Um, so it was, it was comfortable for me. I, I knew what I was getting into. Uh, I, it felt like reassurance for my family, you know, as well, you know, I'm not going in to chase bullets. Right. You know, so, uh, but it's, uh, everybody does it, I guess, you know, you aren't, everybody's a soldier first. So you get in and it doesn't matter what your MOS is, you know, I still went through air assault school and uh, you know, foreign language classes and combatives. And uh, when I started getting tired of the monotonous, like day-to-day -day cafeteria cooking in a dining facility for, for all the Joes, you know, I got pulled onto a culinary team and that kind of lit a new fire under my ass. And I was like, all right, you know, this, this is what I want to do. Nice. And I, uh, I love, I love to cook. So, um, it uh, it seemed like a an easy fit for me, but it was the right fit. Um, and I, uh, I mean, I've I did it for nine years. Nice uh, with service. What was it? Um, 
what was it like for you going into boot camp? Was it a, you know, culture shock or, you know, when you got into boot camp, you know? It was, uh, I don't know, it, it didn't really phase me. I know there were a lot of people that, uh, you know, you see struggle uh, through the uh, being away from their family and friends and going through the whole program, uh, being yelled at, you know, by the drill sergeants. Like I said, uh, you know, I gave my dad hell. You know, growing up, so I got I got yelled at plenty. I didn't I didn't care about the drill sergeants yelling at me in my face. So, so <laughs> uh, but then the structure. I mean, I I know how to follow rules and yes sir uh, and no sir, yes drill sergeant, no drill sergeant. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a hard uh, adjustment for me there. Uh, so I, I didn't have any trouble with it. Uh, I was damn out of shape. Uh, I mean, I've always been about the same weight, but I've always been a smoker, so I had to. Uh, I had some difficulty there in the beginning getting my my body in shape uh, when I went to basic, but they they do it for you. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, after you uh, after you graduated boot camp, uh, where'd you go from there? I went to uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Or well, I'm sorry, AIT. I went to uh, Fort Lee here in Virginia, um, okay. quartermaster. It was a 10-week program, I believe, for, uh, for food service. I graduated from there, and then my first duty station was uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Okay. 101st. And then when you got to uh, Kentucky, uh, what was your assignment? I was attached to uh, 1st and 320th uh, Field Artillery. Uh, we, uh, my assignment was to cook in the dining facility for uh, Strike Brigade. Uh, and, I mean, it was everyday job you know cooks were the first ones in the last ones out most times you know uh, as far as up in the morning and down at night not entirely but you know we work seven days a week you you lose your donzas you know your holidays because Joe's got to eat um, but uh, it was good I've, I've always said if I came down on orders tomorrow to go back to Fort Campbell I'd, I'd pack a bag and be feet and I loved it down there I really did it was just a uh, it was a family for me. So I'm curious, can you describe the the difference between um, being a food service worker uh, in the military um, compared to being a chef here on the outside? Because you mentioned earlier, right, everybody's first a soldier. So essentially, mm -hmm. uh, they are training you to be, you might be food service worker because this is what you like to do, um, but they're also making sure uh, that you're combat ready, right? right? So what's 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 life like, like uh, being a food service worker in the army? Um, I mean, you you have your job. Everybody has their job. Um, so you go in in the morning. You do PT. Uh, if you have to be in the dining facility in the morning, you'd be in there. And then when you get off, you go do PT. Uh, and then same thing as everybody else. I mean, outside of cooking, uh, which. All that was was, you know, you're feeding X amount of soldiers. You might have 800, you might have 500, you know, whatever. You normally know your head count that comes through your dining facility, but you uh, you go in there and you prep out for uh, your your lunch or uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner meals. Uh, you've got your shift changes. Uh, there's probably 14 or more cooks, you know, working in and out of a dining facility. So uh, it's it's pretty. It, it runs like a, a well-oiled machine. I mean, it's it's not a difficult uh, thing, but uh, you know, outside of the cooking, we do everything that everybody else did. Uh, 
like I said, uh, Eagle first responder, you know, courses or, uh, hey, after you get out of the, you know, the defect today, you got to go to the motor pool and PMCS vehicles or, you know, download a 40-foot Connex and inventory it and, you know, reorganize that or you've got UA, you know, whatever. I mean, we, we, we did everything everybody else did uh, and then cooked for, you know, guys in between. So uh, it was uh, it's just a job. Right. Um, did you serve anywhere else besides Kentucky? Uh, Fort Bliss, Texas, which was not my favorite duty station. I, uh, I just didn't like it down there. It wasn't a, it <laughs> what, wasn't a great place. What didn't you like about it? Uh, I, I came to Bliss uh, straight out of Afghanistan. I came down on orders in Afghanistan for, uh, for Bliss. And uh, when I got there, it was just... It, it felt surreal. Uh, I went from desert to desert to dust storm to dust storm, Afghani to Hispanic as far as like foreign languages. Uh, you know, I got put in a non-deployable training unit, so we were out in the field all the time, uh, faking the funk, you know, so that really messed with my, uh, my head. You know, it, it felt like I never really left Afghanistan. And it looked so much like I'd walk out of my apartment sometimes and look at Trans Mountain, which is a big mountain range that runs you know, through El Paso, um, and it looked just like walking out of your, you know, walking out of a tent on a Kandahar airfield and looking at the mountain range over there, you know, in yeah. Afghanistan. Yeah. Like it, it was it was surreal. Um, so it it played a, a large role in uh, my mental stability and my decline at that time uh and in readjusting and coming coming back home um if you don't mind could we back up a bit and um you know talk about you going to afghanistan Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. um so i deployed with uh fort campbell in april of 2010 uh we flew into kandahar um that's the hub everybody goes through as i understand it um we got debriefed, issued equipment, uh, all kinds of shit, and then pushed out from there and flew over the mountain into uh, the Argandab River Valley, uh, which they called the Devil's Playground at the time. Uh, I think it was, I don't even remember, I want to say it was RC East, uh, as far as everyone understood it, uh, that were feet on ground over there in Afghanistan. I could be wrong. I'd I said it's been a while. I don't remember, but yeah. um, it was a real, it was a real shit show. That, it was like nothing I had ever experienced. It was a, a different world. Um, you know, so when we first uh, got over there, everybody, everybody, uh, you know, flew into Jelawar, which was the the one established main fob at the time. Um, we later set up uh, another operating post called Terra Nova, and those two kind of worked uh, in conjunction with each other. But outside of those uh, operating posts, we had, you know, smaller cops and, uh, you know, strong points that we had set up before, or they had set up before we had even got there. So uh, my E7, when we got to Jellawar, came to me and uh, notified me that, you know, she was she trusted me and she wanted to put me in charge of feeding a small uh, platoon of guys on a uh, 
cop called uh, Cop Times, which was right out, uh, it's probably a couple of miles from Jellawar on the uh, edge of this pomegranate field uh, next to, you know, one of the little towns in the area. And uh, what does cop mean? Cop means a, a command operating post. Uh, FOB would be a forward operating post. Um, and then I said outside of that, you, we had smaller operating posts called strong points that we'd set up uh, to kind of push the opposition back out, you know, away from us further. Um, but when I got to Cop Tines, uh, the 82nd was still there. They had been there for 14 months, I think, already. Um, and so those guys were, I mean, they were done. Just shit. losing it, getting attacked every day to every other day. Uh, they were we were in a bad spot um and uh it was it was weird i mean i'd, I'd never been shot at and it's, it's like you it's like uh being a freshman in high school and all the all the you know older kids are like oh freshman you know these guys well that, that's kind of how it was we we got to cop times and it was like the taliban was like all right we got a new you know we got a new cycle so <laughs> let's hit them hard um, I mean, within the first, I'd say, two, three days of being there and starting to learn, like, the patrol routes and stuff uh, from the 82nd, our guys, you know, we took on, it was probably close to a 48-hour ongoing, you know, fight and push with the, uh, with the Taliban in the area. Wow. Um, so it was, it was pretty shitty welcome, you know, to the Argonaut, which I didn't expect, you know, a red carpet, but yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, it was like, Hey, we're here. This is real. So it was an interesting time. Uh, and like I said, I mean, we got attacked every, I mean, multiple times a week, multiple times a week until the, until it got cold and they don't like the cold. Uh, so it tapered off a little bit in the winter. Um, so it became um, like a like a, just a daily, like, it sounds like you just yeah. got up knowing, like, well, today we're going to get fucking shot at. Let's yeah. be prepared, huh? Yeah. Wow. I mean, it, did, uh, it, it didn't ever really change. I mean, there, there were some days where you might, you know, you might breeze through the day and, it, and nothing happens, but it, they were few and far between. Something, something was always happening. Um, I mean, there was, a, there was an afternoon I had I'd gotten a big flatbed full of uh, palletized water. Uh, dropped off and I had this storage shed behind my uh, my little containerized kitchen that I was cooking for these guys out of um, that I was I keep all my dry goods and stuff in so I was organizing it and stacking all these cases of water and I had water I mean from probably 10 feet to my you know to my left all the way to me like it just from floor to ceiling I had been stacking all this water and we started taking indirect uh, mortar fire and the whole whole damn you know ceiling came in on me. All the waters came down on me. <laughs> uh, that but you know that was just a I don't know. It was just something that happened over there. I mean, we had um, multiple uh, vehicles you know that got hit with IEDs. We took rocket fire. You know some of those hit the Hesco barriers or you know it it was uh, you're always expecting something. Right? Did you guys lose anybody out there? Yeah, we lost uh, we lost several guys. Um, yeah, and uh, it's uh, it, it 
don't know. That's a yeah, yeah. We lost several. Um, couple of IEDs. Uh, one of uh, one of our guys got uh, shot while he was on uh, guard duty, um, and I don't I don't think rounds were being done properly. This wasn't on our on our immediate fob. It was uh, the one next to us, Cop Nolan. Uh, that he was on guard duty and uh, got shot uh, to the you know, took a shot to the head um, and wasn't found for you know, a couple hours later because uh, nobody had went up there to check on him. Uh, but um, yeah, this uh, it was a lot of a lot of shit. Uh, you see a lot of stuff over there. I mean, even outside of your guys that uh, go down, uh, there was a a point where we had this. Uh, we had this system, it looked like a pair of binoculars, I believe it was called the Hyde system. And basically you could uh, retinally scan, you would take it you know, through a city on patrol and scan people into it, and, you know, put their information, their pictures and all that into it. And then later, if you, know, you come across the body, you get into a firefight or something like that and you need to identify the body, you can scan it with the Hyde, it'll come back to you, but that's how we tracked outsiders you know in the area that weren't weren't regulars because we had all the regulars if we didn't have them in hide then you know, there's something weird but i remember walking around uh, a body for a couple of days they just sat uh you know on on uh cop tines uh waiting for you know pickup for some guys to come out there and pick it up but uh yeah you see you see a lot of a lot of death over there. Um, it's it's weird. It's uh, I don't know. It's a hard thing to to live with. Um, did you lose any of uh, close friends of yours? Um, not not directly. Uh, the ones that I have lost, you know, weren't over there. Um, you know, I've, there've been a couple of buddies uh, that have come home and uh, taken their life. Or hell, uh, one of the medics that I got really close with over there, uh, he was a captain. He was actually from Colleen, Texas. He came home uh, to visit his family. He got shot in Colleen. Uh, over some bullshit. I, I don't know what really uh, what really happened. Uh, but I mean, it. No, I, I didn't lose anyone in Afghanistan. That was a uh, severely close to me um, but I, uh, I had several acquaintances that I had you know met cross paths with uh, served with in others uh, you know scenarios uh, that that did fall over there and I uh, you know I, their pictures pop up every year on uh, you know, social media and uh, I, I always hear from other buddies and groups that I'm in, you know, uh, when the memorial's coming up each year, uh, to remember them, uh, I always try to take the time out to think about them. I know it's, uh, I mean, the few I can name it, Nolan, Stout, Stansberry, King, uh, those were four that, uh, you know, I, I remember, uh, vividly and we set up, you know, we set up strong points uh, in honor of them uh, based on, 
you know, their location that they uh, fell. Um, so we had, you know, a cop Stansberry and a cop Nolan, cop Stout. Uh, and those, those were all strong points that, you know, we set up after those soldiers uh, went down and um, in honor of them. But, uh, yeah. How long were you guys out in Afghanistan? We were there for 11 months. Wow. 11 months. 11 months of straight combat, it sounds like. Yeah. And I, I, like I said, I mean, there were some breaks. Uh, the, the winter was pretty, pretty cool. I mean, yeah. for the for the most part, I mean, it was moderate. We didn't really have a big fight then, but. Uh, did you ever expect to find yourself in that scenario, signing up to, you know, be a food service worker? No, I mean, uh, and like I said, everybody's a soldier first. I, I never, I never thought that it would it wouldn't happen. You know, I mean, if, if you're getting shot at, you know, we're all we're all issued weapons. You know, you get up there and you shoot back. I mean, that's. It's your life or theirs. Uh, I'm not going to be standing in the in, you know, the kitchen right. <laughs> cooking while while all my buddies are being shot at. But uh, but no, I I never really. I don't think it it became real until it was it was happening. But uh, you definitely sink or swim in those scenarios. I've I've seen people I've seen people freeze up that have you know hunted their whole life. You know been raised around you know shooting guns and stuff like that and uh, I, I've seen all kinds of different reactions it's uh, you never you never really know what you're gonna get I guess uh, in that scenario until you're in it so um, while you're out there in Afghanistan did you uh, did it ever cross your mind that or you know did you develop an appreciation for life back home everything you had back home oh yeah uh, I mean, you see, you see what they don't have, you know, and uh, what they go through to to live the, you know, what's the word, uh, humble lives that they they do, I guess, because uh, they, I mean, and there's a lot of good people over there. I, I, I can't I can't announce that at all. Uh, you know, it was, it was one of the really cool things is uh, the locals, you know. Like I said, we were right on the edge of a pomegranate orchard. They bring us bushels of fresh pomegranates, you know, uh, stuff like that. We had kids that, you know, would uh, come onto the operating post and pick up trash, and we'd give them, you know, five, ten bucks, which is a lot for them, or give them, you know, a bunch of candy. They they love sweet shit. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's good people over there, and, and they, they really, the good ones work hard to have what they have. Uh, and uh, it's it definitely is uh, eye opening, you know, as far as how how much we have here you know, and yeah. how how for granted we take you know a lot that a lot of the things that we have. Uh, what was it like when you uh, got back from Afghanistan? So uh, when I came back, I spent about roughly two weeks clearing uh, Fort Campbell, and then I. PCS there, uh, went and, uh, or, and went to uh, El Paso. Mm -hmm. So I got, I got to El Paso, I think it was around September of uh, 2011, I believe. Uh, and there was a, I don't know, it, it was kind of slow going at first. You know, you got to do the whole in-processing and shit like that. And 
I was still, I feel like, in my kind of like honeymoon phase of coming back from Afghanistan. It hadn't really hit. And I think when I got to El Paso was when it, it really started to dawn on me because I'm looking around again and I'm like, fuck, more sand. <laughs> like, wow. it's 100 degrees outside again. Like, uh, you know, it's, or, I mean, it was just, uh, it was really surreal. Um, looking around the landscape and seeing nothing but desert again and that same mountain range that I just was looking at in Afghanistan for 11 months and uh, I, I didn't really know how to how to feel about it I was walking you know before I was walking out of a you know a mud hut that was fixed to a little shanty you know, sleeping chew that we had built in, over there in Afghanistan to walking out to looking at this mountain range. And now I'm walking out my apartment door and looking at a different mountain range that looks you know, almost exactly the same. There's a dust storm blowing through. And I'm like, God, <laughs> it, uh, it was just, it was really weird. Uh, I felt like I didn't come home really. You know, I didn't have any, I didn't have any friends out there. You know, I didn't, I didn't know anybody in this new unit, and I was 24, 25 hours from, you know, my family. Uh, it, it sucked, uh, and I, I mean, I identified it pretty quick because um, I was that I was struggling uh, and started, you know, reaching out to mental health and things. Um, but it, I don't know. It it, it was a lot of. Uh, I think it was too little too late uh, and then my situation that I was in as far as the unit that I was in uh, being a non-deployable training unit like we, we were out in the field all the time faking the funk so it, there's just never any regular day-to-day -day for me anymore I was it's like I never left that fight you know it was op four it wasn't you know Taliban we were in El Paso but it just, it, to me, in my mind, it, it it just really wasn't home. I wasn't home. I, uh, I had an incident in uh, downtown El Paso. I was walking with my now ex-wife, and uh, a truck backfired, and I, I threw her on the ground myself and, uh, you know, took cover and tried to react to contact, kind of lost time and space for uh, a minute, and... Uh, she was able to kind of shake me out of it. And after that, I, uh, I ended up uh, spending about seven days in a mental uh, lockup, not lockup, not a mental hospital, but uh, th there's a, a mental, mental health unit at William Beaumont out there in El Paso. And it, uh, it was just a, a care facility uh, to diagnose me uh, with what's, what was going on. And that's when I was... Uh, Diagnosed with PTS and anxiety and uh, sleeping disorders, stuff like that. Um, and uh, I think that's when I decided that I, I didn't want to stay in El Paso. And I, I wanted to try to transition out of the Army to focus on me um, and uh, my life. Because my marriage was crumbling. And it did. Which... It is what it is because it wasn't meant to be, but <laughs> um, it uh, it was a lot, a lot of shit 
that went on uh, up in up in the noggin, you know, around that time. So uh, I ended up getting an offer because uh, when I signed my contract, it was for it was for eight years. <clears throat> it was an eight year contract, and uh, I got out of or I came off active duty with six and some change uh, there at the end of it because I was given an option to uh, get out and finish my contract in the reserves or to get out and just figure or finish inactively um, because of what I'd recently gone through uh, with my mental health and readjustment and uh, how it wasn't going well. Um, but I chose to get out and finish in the reserves and you know give that a try. That wouldn't, you know, I figured that wouldn't be a hard a beast to tackle one weekend a month, one weekend or uh, whatever it is, two weekends a month, one week a year. I don't remember. Something like but that. I think something it's like, like that. Like one week in a month and two weeks out in the summer. Or something yeah. Like that. Do you, yeah. You do it at once a year. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean it. Uh, I thought that that was going to help uh, exponentially. You know, me getting out, coming back home to family. But I think the uh, the damage was done, and I had to uh, I had to work on fixing me myself um, and El Paso wasn't helping that so I had to get out of there uh, and that's that's when I came home so um, did you notice any or you having trouble like sleeping uh, did you experience like any type of nightmares or any of that I was having uh, reoccurring nightmares so I'd, uh, I'd have night sweats night terrors I'd wake up soaking wet uh, I mean, like, like someone had dumped a bucket of water on me. I mean, you couldn't, you can't lay enough towels down in the bed. You ain't got enough damn clothes to change into, you know, through the night. Like it's, it, it got so nerve wracking. Um, I uh, would sleep all the time. I, uh, you know, was on edge. My, uh, when I, when I finally got, you know, my first job coming. Once I got back home, my dad, you know, he got me a job in the uh, factory that he worked in, uh, which was like manufacturing plastics for companies like uh, Scotts, you know, putting potting soil. Or, well, they made like the bags and shit for these companies. So uh, it was a big factory, and the, the uh, section that I worked in was called Conversion. And uh, right behind me, they had this... Uh, this uh, department where they would test the seals on all the bags that we you know made. So they'd they'd strap them onto like this air cannon and push air into them to you know see how they they held air. But these bags they would they would pop you know and the percussion behind them it was like boom you know. <laughs> so my lead was I was leaving work daily just shaking like a leaf uh, on edge because I've got shit blowing up behind me and it was you know really working working me um my lead was feeding me xanax and valium you know out of out of her pocket <laughs> because uh i couldn't i couldn't get anything from the va uh you know the doctors that i had seen uh they didn't want to prescribe benzoles and stuff like that which i, I get uh, you know i understand medications addictive and i get why they did it but i what they were giving me wasn't helping and i was I was still struggling hard with uh, with all that shit and in my workplace. Um, I ended up ultimately having to leave that job because I asked for a, a relocation in the factory and 
they they couldn't do anything. So um, I told them, you know, if you if you can't work with me here and understand what I'm going through, uh, then I, I can't stay. So um, I left there and uh, ended up working my way back into uh, food service on the outside, which is how I, uh, I've moved up, you know, and uh, secured this you know, position as chef now. Um, have you gotten, have you tried to get help through the VA healthcare system? I have, um, and I will, I will say uh, out the gate, I, uh, like I, like I, I won't announce, you know, what the VA does for us and offers. They, they have a lot of good benefits and there's a lot of good people there, but they have to deal with a lot of people. And, uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine what they go through, but, um, I, uh, I tried to, uh, yeah, get help through the VA. I went through a uh, prolonged exposure therapy, uh, with their mental health department. Um, they reconfirmed, you know, BTS, anxiety, depression, uh, sleep, uh, night terrors, night sweats. Um, I, I want to say they said uh, they gave me some sort of uh, a adjustment disorder there in the beginning. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, what it what it all came down to, you know, as far as fixing the problem was, you know, well, let's try this medication. Let's try this. The prolonged exposure was a really cool program. Uh, I mean, it it sucked because as part of the program, you'd be given homework in the sense that, you know, if I said, I don't like going to uh, bars that are crowded, you know, because I can't have eyes on everybody in the situation. I don't, I don't like it. Or I don't like sitting in a restaurant with my back to the door because I don't know what's going to come through that door. Uh, and I want to be able to see it. So they'd give you homework in the sense that, you know, they'd be like, all right, well, tonight what your homework is is to go out, you know, to the bar or to a restaurant and be around those, you know, crowds of people and sit with your back to the door and then come back and you would record it into your phone uh, via voice recording and you'd play that back the next week, you know, that you'd go and see your, your therapist. Um, and it was kind of... It circled around avoidance, you know, how avoidance is bad. And in doing that, you're only conditioning your body to not like these things. Uh, so that in itself uh, really did help me a lot. I think, I think that program was a big turning point um, for me in uh, kind of getting a grip on what was going on in, in here. Um, so I did that. Um, I've talked to a few, you know, therapists, psychiatrists. Uh, I, I struggled for a little while with some uh, drug use. I went through a, uh, I went through a uh, rehabilitation uh, program there at the VA. Uh, it's kind of like group. Um, but I did that for a year um, and graduated that program. Um, I, I've tried, you know, putting in for claims and things like that, and it. It all kind of got knocked back. Uh, I think the the end uh, or the conclusion of it all, they they gave me a zero percent disability, and I I want to say they they said that there wasn't enough uh, 
information or something or they, the, the paper trail wasn't strong enough, which is absolute bullshit. I mean, if you just look at, if you just look at my uh, activity with the VA, there should be enough of a paper trail. I mean, the prolonged exposure, the, the therapist, the, the rehabilitation through the drug use. I mean, I, a lot of soldiers go through those things. Yeah. And uh, some of those soldiers do get help and do get compensated. But some don't. And I don't know, I don't know how to, uh, I do know how to fight it. You know, the, the squeaky wheel gets the oil and you have to stay on them and hound them and, you know, uh, refile and, you know. It's like it's stressful though, right? It, it's, like, it's so much, it's, it's so many, there's so much jumping through hoops and, you know, going through this, you know, show for them and, and I, I'm, I'm tired. I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't have the time to devote to doing that. You know, I, I work 65 hours a week, you know, uh, uh, in a kitchen that's 138, 140 degrees on the line. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be in there from 9 a.m. until 11 o'clock at night. Some, some nights still one, uh, you know, and it, uh, it's exhausting mentally and physically. Uh, you know, coupled with all the other, you know, all the other things going on, on in my life, bills and, uh, you know, plan, upcoming plans and things like that. Uh, so I don't, I don't have the time or the patience to go out to the VA and sit in there and wait around for, you know, a day. I mean, it, you go in there for, I don't know, let's say, Say I got a, a sinus infection, and I, I got to go in there and talk to my primary care provider, and I'm like, she's like, oh yeah, you got a sinus infection. Like, okay, well I, I could have told you that. Well, it took you two hours to see a primary care provider, and then you got to wait another hour to you know get your meds, and I mean it, it's just it's it's a whole it's a whole thing to <laughs> to go out to the VA for for anything, and I yeah I just I despise it. I hate. I hate going through the the steps, and I, I understand that's what you have to do. But but you started getting help for your mental health while you were still in the army in service, and then they offered you because of what you were going through to you know you had an eight year contract to do the rest of your time in the in the uh, reserves yes. because of that status, yep. and then for them to say there's not enough paper trail. Yeah, and I still have my entire uh, medical jacket, you know, on disc uh, from active duty. Uh, I've printed all that off because you know you can't give them a CD at the at the VA. They can't take that. I might be giving them a virus or something. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I they, they they have all my all my information. Everything's there on paper. Everything. Uh, so for them to, for anybody to say that there, there wasn't a problem or there, the problem's been fixed, uh, I think on one of the, uh, one of the documents I have, I believe it was actually the prolonged exposure, uh, the psychiatrist that was treating me, somewhere in the, in the synopsis of the paperwork that, you know, in her notes, she, I'm not going to say verbatim, I'm not going to quote her, but, it, it said something along the lines of he is cured or he is, you know, he's well. Well, I don't know what she meant by that. I, I, I don't know. 
but in my mind, what I said was what I what I meant. Prolonged exposure helped me exponentially. Right. I mean, it did. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if it hadn't. But. Um, but that helps. It doesn't. It doesn't fix the problem. It. You know, it, uh, it kind of smothers it, or uh, I don't know what the word is. It, it stifles it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, it makes it gives you it gives you skills to deal with these things. You know that that you're going through. But I still have nightmares. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, mean I, that you're yeah. not feeling everything you've just fucking described. It yeah. just means that you're 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 starting to learn how to manage it better. Right. But you still fucking you still feel it inside yeah. of you, right? You, I mean, I'm sure when you still hear a loud noise outside, it fucking starts. Oh, yeah. I, I hate uh, the Fourth of July down here. Uh, it's and it's not even like the bottle rockets and shit. It's the mortars uh, because of the percussion. At the end of the day, like that's the whole thing with the noises. Uh, I I uh, I couldn't I wasn't even allowed to open uh, cans of scallops in the kitchen for the longest time because they came in these paint cans and like when you'd be prying the lids off there was so much I don't know uh, force behind that lid that when you'd get to a certain point it would boom and it'd shoot the the damn lid up in the air uh, and the first time that I ever opened one of them damn things in the kitchen over there. Uh, I'm prying around it. I'm getting ready to make bacon wrap scallops, and I get to that point, and it said "pow," and I, I threw the can back. You know, I, I threw, I pushed everything on the cutting board in front of me off, uh, and I, I stumbled back. And my executive chef, he was like, he's like, "You're all right," and I'm, I'm trembling. And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, I just, uh, I'm like, I just need a minute." You know, and I, I walked out on the back dock, smoked a cigarette, and uh, called my girlfriend at the time. I'm like, "Hey, uh, I need you to bring me my, my medicine." And I was like, "I'm." Set an episode at work. I need to calm down. I I didn't I didn't think to bring my medicine with me into the kitchen. Like so, um, it's a fucking can of scallops. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I don't know. I never. It's it's stupid things sometimes. Uh, the car backfiring. Like I said, that's I mean that's what got me in El Paso. Um, my dad. Uh, I was cooking. I think it was like a Father's Day. Uh, I was grilling for him down at his, uh, his and my mom's house. And, uh, he come down, their house and garage are detached. And there's a pad, like a sidewalk that runs down in the backyard from there. So I'm cooking down on the back patio, grilling. And, uh, he comes walking down that sidewalk and lights a string of black cats and tosses them and tosses them, you know, towards the wood line. And next thing I know, I'm grilling along and. <laughs> You know, and I hit the ground, uh, the same kind of thing, you know. And, and he realized immediately what he had done, and he wasn't thinking. And I mean, that's not his responsibility to think about shit like that. Like, he was just having fun. Um, but it, you know, it, it, threw a, it threw a wrench in our night because my nerves were shot after that. Uh, you know, and it, it shouldn't, you shouldn't be affected to the degree, you know, that, that it affects you from something like that. I would love to go enjoy a fireworks show anymore. But I mean my my wife knows, you know, that I can't I can't do that now. Uh you know, she she's uh she's been there for me through episodes like that. Uh so I mean it, it sucks living with you know living with uh 
a disability of that that nature. Um, I understand you're getting ready to get married. Um, how important is it to you to have somebody by your side to support you like that? It's very important. Uh, family's a, a huge thing for me, and uh, I, uh, I, I, I give her so much credit, you know, for supporting me uh, in everything that I've gone through. I mean, and, and to date, like I said, you know, uh, I still have nightmares sometimes. I still get night sweats. You know, she, she deals with the changing of the sheets, you know, the putting towels down, me you know, getting up, walking around in the middle of the night because I can't sleep. Uh, you know, uh, she, she knows that, you know, when the 4th of July is rolling around and I go downstairs and, you know, in the morning and I forget, like, uh, my uh, triple flange because I still got my triple flange, you know, earplugs, and I'll, I'll carry those down with me when I go to work. So when I leave out to go get a beer, I'll just put those in, you know. And, uh, and go get a beer, you know, and go home. Uh, but she'll bring those to me if I forget them, you know. She, uh, and she, I mean, she, she helps me with everything. Uh, That's great, man. Glad you found someone. Like yeah, that. Uh, yeah. Um, is there anything, anything you want to say before uh, we wrap this up? Um, no. Um, uh, I mean, I know. I like what you guys are doing. Uh, I think this is a this is a cool concept, and it, uh, it'll be helpful you know, for other people to see uh, kind of the uh, you know, the uh, indirect outcome you know, of everything that uh, is endured by you know our guys that are that have done all that over there, that yeah. have been over there and experienced all that shit. How, uh, um, if you don't mind. Um I mean, what would you think about this? How did it feel right now just talking about this and telling your story? It's always, uh, I don't know, it's, it's sometimes it's a little more emotional than, uh, than others. Uh, but, I mean, there, there was a lot of uh, emotions felt, uh, you know, while I, was, while I was over there experiencing all that shit. And even when I got home experiencing all the shit show that I went through when I came home, you know, trying to get back to good. And, uh, it, uh, this is, this is, this is, you know, I think a, a really good thing. It's, I always think it is good to talk about it. Like I said, that prolonged exposure program avoidance, you know, is not good. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I genuinely, I don't have a problem talking about it. And, uh, it's just the situations, I guess, that you discuss. Um, you know, uh, can get a little, a little hairy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any friends that have committed suicide or taken their life since we, since you've been back? We had uh, so uh, one of the uh, one of the guys that was actually on cop times with me. He probably wasn't any older than twenty years old. He was a kid. Um, made it through the entirety of. Uh, the shit show that we were we endured over in Afghanistan and wasn't home more than two weeks uh, took his life he hung himself in his backyard came back home uh, wife kid uh, newborn I mean I think they had the baby right before we deployed uh, so and uh, I mean I I don't know what his reasoning was uh, 
he probably just didn't feel like he had, I don't know, any help. He probably just didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, there have been a few uh, others. I don't, I don't, you know, to sit here in front of you, and, and I've, I've had this discussion with, uh, with my doctors and therapists and tell you that I hadn't, it hadn't crossed my mind, I'd be, I'd be lying to your face. I think everybody at some point has thought about it. You know, it, would it be easier? Goddamn right, it'd be easier. But uh, I don't have I don't have the balls to do that, and I also wouldn't do that to my family, my friends, because I know that doesn't hurt me. That hurts everybody else that I love. Right. So I would never I would never do that to them. But I under I, I want to say I understand. You know. What a person, you know, goes through, but you, you can't. I mean, and that's why we, we've tried so hard to get a grip on veteran suicide and things like you know, of that nature. And it, it's so damn difficult because I, I truly believe it's a temporary lapse in sanity, and it's just you don't, you're at the end of that rope. You don't know what to do anymore. Yeah, I imagine you've been at that point to where the stress was just so um just just you were just so fucking stressed Definitely. out that where you're like i understand why this guy took his life like mm -hmm. i could i could understand it because if he was feeling any worse than i'm feeling right now right yeah. uh i totally get it because it's fucking it, it yeah i get yeah. it man i get what you're talking about it's it's mind-numbing like you but no i try to i try to stay headstrong myself and i have a great support system uh, that is my family and friends, and I uh, I hold on to that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Scott, uh, listen, man. The people that see this, uh, that hear your story, it, it, you're gonna fucking impact a lot of people, man. And uh, uh, I really appreciate you being here, telling your story. And, yes, sir. Uh, thank you for your fucking service, man. From the bottom of my heart. Appreciate thank you. It. Push it to the limit. I can't go no more. Red light, no way. I'm coming back home. Dirt road all